Hey, I am so glad that you're joining me in the honest conversations about all things family. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor and a mom. Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. This is going to be a place for us to be real about the mess of parenting. Um, It's a place for you to feel validated and to find some self-compassion and some hope for the road ahead. Let's stand in the mud together because personally I think that is the absolute best place to start. In the last couple of episodes on couples relationships, we talked a lot about Gottman's research and that particular approach to understanding what helps and holds couples back from strong, intimate and resilient bonds. Uh, But we also know from the research that one of the toughest phases of a couple's relationship is when kids first enter the picture. And it makes sense, right? Because kids change everything both in ways that are amazing and in ways that test your relationship glue and your individual ability to adapt to a major shift in priority. Growing a family, both when you're in that stage of imagining it, planning it, and when you're well into the journey of having kids, they've become a reality for you, is it's powerful and it's often a joy-focused experience. But at the same time, it does us no favors to ignore the other tougher aspects that come along with it. Couples who go into growing a family with realistic expectations are far better prepared and do way better than couples who embrace the fantasized version seen through rose-colored glasses. You should be super excited about parenting. Absolutely. So this is not about stealing your joy. It is, though, about going in with eyes wide open to see the whole picture so that you can weather the inevitable stressors with a greater sense of capability and togetherness. Part of acknowledging how tough that transition to parenthood can be for most couples is about understanding that this phase is inherently hard. So in other words, when you find yourself struggling, it's okay to say that the hardness of it lives in the phase itself. It's not necessarily because you are not measuring up or because the relationship is a problem. Half of this parenting gig is about having grace for yourself and for one another. Because despite what Indigo's self-help section wants to convince you of, There is no parenting manual that's going to make you glide through this with no major storms. What Gottman offers us, though, are ways of staying connected through those storms. Back in 2019, a colleague and I spent a few days in Seattle training to be Bringing Baby Home educators. Bringing Baby Home is a research-based course for couples that teaches foundational skills and concepts to strengthen and scaffold the relationship in order to provide a solid, secure structure for families to thrive in. We know that kids do better when parents are doing well. So by focusing our attention on adult ways of communicating, managing stress, and supporting one another through this challenging phase of life, we offer kids a more secure ground to grow on, where they will just naturally develop to be healthier and better functioning people later in life. After our certification was complete, we spent countless hours getting ready to launch this program from our practice. We wanted it up and running in our community, and we were super excited about it. 
And then COVID hit. So the ads were pulled, expected couples were refunded for registering um, for our first workshop. And it's hard to believe a full year has passed now. And we just feel like we're sitting on this gold, wishing that there was another way to share parts of this course. And we are still planning to host these in-person group learning experiences because we do value that parents um, form their own communities out of those and support one another on the journey. But because we don't yet know exactly how that's going to happen or when, um, I just decided to use the same research concepts and adapt some of the activities and custom make my own chapter guides for couples and provide that in an online way as a course uh, to couples called When You and Me Become Three. And my real goal is to have this ready by May 2021 um, and to be able to offer not just this version, but one specifically tailored to those of you who are growing your family through adoption. I'm creating a uniquely focused course for those couples, which covers the same relevant topics, but adds in some really critical pieces that you need for your unique way of growing your family. And I'll leave the links in the show notes for both those courses so that you can learn more about them if they're of interest to you. So today we're going to look at a concept that we mentioned in the last um, in the last episode, and it is one of eight covered in depth in those courses. This applies not only to your partnership, but also the relationships that you develop and nurture with your kids. In fact, it's the basis of secure attachment building. We're going to talk about the concept and the power of turning towards. If you want the printable guide that I created for this one, just subscribe to the podcast through our website. Um, Also a link in the show notes so that you can get it via email. Turning towards. Our guest, Michelle Grunhog, talked about three ways that we turn in our relationships. There's turning towards, turning away, and turning against. These are the three options we have in order to respond to what Gottman calls bids, which just simply put or asks for connection. So bids can really be really obvious. They can be um, also super subtle. So it might be like asking how somebody's day was, maybe an intentional glance or a smile, making physical contact while you're sitting on the couch together watching a show, asking somebody, hey, what's on your mind? Or telling a story about something that had an impact on you that day. When you start conversation, invite someone to participate in a small or a big exchange. You are making bids. In the thick of conflict or any situation where I'm interacting with somebody and it involves intensity, I have really found it helpful to just have like a visual that grounds me, kind of like a mini guide that shows me my options, reminds me of the options that I'll be happy later on (laughs) looking back on how I responded. Otherwise, I can get so wrapped up in the emotion that I lose sight of what I'm going to feel good about later. This is a visual that I find helpful. So picture each person having what Gottman calls an emotional bank account. 
And that, you know, we, we're going to be talking about how people make deposits into those emotional bank accounts and withdrawals are taken. So I'm going to talk about those three ways that we respond to bids. So while I do that, I'm just going to invite you to keep that image of the emotional bank account in your mind. If in response to a bid, you turn towards, you're doing things like looking back at the person, acknowledging them, answering the question, or maybe asking them for more in more detail about what they started to share, um, touching the person back, acknowledging the bid in some way that honors the ask for connection. When someone responds to your bids this way, they are making deposits into your emotional piggy bank. It grows your sense that you matter to somebody and that you are worthy of their attention and that you can count on them to be there for you. Imagine what this exchange looks like then between you and your partner, but also take a second to picture how this can unfold between you and your child. It's the method through which we form healthy attachments to our little ones and how we maintain those bonds as our kids grow up into adults. If you respond by turning away, the bid goes unanswered. It's ignored, not seen, or heard. It just kind of falls flat and doesn't have a place to land. This kind of response can happen when a person is overwhelmed or not able to be present with you. They aren't attuned or connected with you because they're occupied in their own minds or other things or other stresses are kind of priority in their heads. And it's not done because the person's trying to be mean, but more because they're just not available to paying attention and they're running kind of on autopilot. They feel absent even though they're technically standing right there. Turning away is like someone initially saying, yeah, let's go play a game of tennis. Um, But then they just stand there on the other side of the court. They don't hit the ball back. And every time you hit the ball toward them, it just flies past because they're either staring at the birds or they're falling asleep standing up because they're so exhausted. It hurts to be ignored or not noticed particularly when it happens on repeat and it feels like a pattern. This lack of response ends up making big bank withdrawals over time. Now think about how this works itself out in your relationship with your kids. What we know is that when babies make asks for connection, but their adults don't respond actively, it trains them at first to protest and then to give up asking. It's one of the saddest things to watch because it's the start of vulnerable growing little ones learning to internalize that their needs are not important and they don't matter. These are attachment wounds that can carry them into adulthood if not attended to or changed. There are all sorts of things that can contribute to a parent being unable to turn toward their child. Maybe it's postpartum or post-adoptive depression and anxiety. Maybe it's healing from some form of birth trauma or not having enough support to help out when you need it. 
Having kids with visible or invisible special needs is another area that makes us feel so overwhelmed over time that we don't have anything left to give. High levels of stress are dealing with significant losses. People in these positions aren't intending at all to dismiss the needs of their partners or their kids. They're just unavailable because they're so occupied by trying to survive. For many kids, thankfully, there are multiple adults in their worlds who have opportunities to turn towards them and fill up those emotional bank accounts. But not every child does, making some little ones extra vulnerable to living in a deficit state. The most negatively impactful way of responding to bids for connection is turning against This version doesn't just drain the account fast, but it increases conflict and it creates emotional distance between the two of you. This is when bids are reacted to with really mean tones or critical comebacks, diminishing comments or insults. It's actively choosing to turn away or deny the bid for connection. It's rejection. We've all been there at some point, and it really hurts. Now, just like any bank account, you are never going to always make deposits or always make withdrawals. So when you imagine this emotional bank account, we all have the capacity to handle some bids that fall flat and even some bids that are actively rejected. The key, though, is what we tend to experience most because that is what dictates our reserves, our bank account balance. We always want to have a positive balance and not go for long periods of time feeling in debt or bankrupt. You can imagine what living in an emotional deficit would look like in terms of the impact that it has on your ability to be a parent. If your account is lower in the red, what do you have to draw on when your kids are asking for connection, little to nothing. And when you have little to nothing to draw on, guess how you respond to your kids' bids for connection? Way more often with turning away or against. Your baby might be very precious and deeply wanted by you, but they are also keeping you up all night and leaving you chronically sleep deprived. Add to that other responsibilities you may be balancing, new tensions in your relationship, and any external challenges that you might find yourself facing, like financial stress, moving to a new community, getting sick. And you can see how easily you might find yourself in dynamics where dismissing needs feels kind of like the best thing you can even offer. The way to make regular deposits into anyone's emotional piggy bank is to be mindful and just pay attention. If you're missing those bids, you're not even going to notice when you're not responding. And that has a real impact on the people you're interacting with. Those are taking withdrawals. We all have multiple bids every day, giving us all those opportunities to turn towards. You do not need to catch every one of them, 
But over time, the people in your life will come to relate to you as either somebody who generally makes deposits or generally makes withdrawals. You might be wondering how to manage bids that maybe aren't so straightforward, they feel confusing, and they're not super clear to you. If you aren't sure what's being asked of you, it's really kind of impossible to know how to turn towards your partner or your child. If you're a new parent, it's pretty normal not to feel confident in reading your baby's cues, and every baby's different. Some of this simply takes time and observation, so be patient with yourself. Your main job is to observe what causes reactions in your baby. So if you respond and it doesn't soothe the request, you may have misunderstood the bid. And you also need to remember that for babies especially, needs change fast. Perhaps your baby cries and you pick them up and it soothes them for a couple of minutes and then they have the same sounding cry again and you're thinking, but I'm already holding you. We're bouncing. What's wrong? That does not necessarily mean you have misinterpreted the first need but maybe the need has changed. They have gas or they're hungry. And as parents, all we can do is learn by trying. We experiment from moment to moment to see what works and what does not work. The important part is that you're attuned, learning their cues and working attentively to try and soothe. And that effort is what builds the bond over time. And we get more and more accurate about what the bids are and how to meet them. It's important to know that your baby won't always be ready for interaction, and that is okay. It's not personal. Babies live in six different states at any given time. And they are all basically levels of alertness. During certain levels, your baby is going to be most receptive to interaction. And knowing what those look like can be really helpful. So the six states involve, the first one is quiet alert, and that's really the best time to interact with your baby. And you'll probably know it when it happens. Babies are attentive. Their breathing is really regular and calm. They're settled, but active. So they are looking at you and engaged and their face is bright and responsive. And then there's an active alert phase where that state is really when um, babies are kind of restless, they're fussy, they're sensitive to things around them, and their breathing is not steady and calm. That usually signals that there's a need for some subtle change, and it might actually in this stage be hard to know or detect what the baby's needs are. The crying phase is pretty obvious. Um, You know when that's happening, um, and it can be quite stressful to listen to. You're wanting to activate a response to soothe. Again, it's a signal for change, like feeding or repositioning, or maybe just taking a break from an activity because it's too much. That's where you go in with some self-soothing. But the baby may need some help, so provide them some comfort. There's also a state of quiet sleep, which is different than active sleep. Quiet sleep is when they're generally still and they're almost hard to wake up. It's like the deep sleep. This is obviously not the time you're going to want to play with them or try and connect with them. But the act of sleep stage is interesting because you can see them moving quite a bit, even having some facial changes like they're smiling or they're lifting their leg a bit um, and feeding the baby at this time is actually not very successful. 
Parents might think that they're awake, but they're not. Drowsy is the last state. And that is really when you see babies between awake and alert and sleeping. It's that in between, not sure which way they're headed. Um, If you leave them alone, they might actually wake up gradually, or if you leave them alone, they might drift into sleep. Um, Their eyes could be open or closed. Their breathing is irregular. They're just super relaxed and they kind of look glazed over. If you're wanting to connect with your little one and they look away, put their hands over their face, push you, wrinkle up their forehead, arch their back or fuss, they might be overstimulated. Crying or fussing doesn't always mean pay more attention to me and interact with me more. If you're engaging with them and they give you these signals, it can mean that it's just too much. They need a break or a change. The good news is that you can actively repair from overstimulation. So if you notice that state, it's a great time to back away a little bit and allow the baby to come back to a calm state. Babies who are overstimulated do not eat well or sleep well, and they are harder to soothe. If you want to repair the overstimulation, you can become calm yourself. You can back away slightly or offer more physical space. Allow the baby to look away from from you for a bit. Soften your voice and use gentle words and tone to show empathy about their discomfort. This concept of turning away is so foundational in just so many ways and offers couples a way of connecting with one another and that also work for connecting with your little babies. Think about what you're growing toward. Don't focus on the mistakes that you feel you've made. Remember that there is a ton of room for repair and the gift that you offer one another and your kids is to be forward focused and intentional. You can decide today that you're going to watch for one another's bids and choose more often to turn toward them. If you find that you can't do it, it's okay to reach out for some support because there's probably some real and significant barriers for you that you just need some help removing so that you can be the partner and parent you want to be. I would also encourage you to think about the people in your life that are in this stage of growing a family and share this episode with them. It's amazing what building your relationship toolkit can bring to the health of people's whole family life. Next week, we're going to look at a whole other phase of parenting when your kids are no longer needing you all the time for everything and that maybe you're even all the way at the cusp of empty nesting. Specifically, we're going to look at how to reconnect with a sense of desire and intimacy in the midst of revisiting the priorities of your couple's relationship. Don't forget to take a look at today's show notes, where you'll find related resources and my letter from the trenches. Standing shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in the mud. Let's talk again next week.